So it's really cool that we, we had talked about Hidden Acres. I was just there last weekend. We brought 30 of our middle schoolers for a camp there. And probably 200, 300 middle schoolers together. And so if I st- start doing this during the sermon, you'll, you'll know why I'm still recovering. Or if I fall asleep in the middle of it, just go on without me. Because y- you don't sleep that much on those unless I ask you to be a leader. And then you get tons of sleep. So... Um, Hey, we're going to be in Mark, continuing on um, with the book of Mark, and I'm excited about where we're going because today, when you walk out, sometimes you may go to another church, you wouldn't do it here, but you, you go to church, you walk out and you go, I'm not really sure what the sermon was about. This one, I don't think you're going to have to worry about that because the sermon is going to be about the God that we worship. And we're going to kind of go through, if you've, if you've been in school, you know the who, what, where, why, when. We're going to go through all of those. And, and we're going to, um, st- we, but I want to start out with, if you're like me, I remember um, when my kids were younger, this is, this is how you get ready for church, if you have younger kids. You sit there and you, you get, them, get them ready and you sit there and you go, all right kids, come on, let's go, let's get in the car. And you, you look at one of them and you say, don't even try. Don't even start with me. We're going to church. And you get in the car and they start fighting. And you turn around and say, I will smack you to next week. And, you, and, you, and you're, you're like, this is it. You may go to see Jesus tonight. You, just, you, better, you better just sit down. And then, you, and then you walk into church and you say, you shut up because we're going to go in and learn about how to worship Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so if, if that's a little too close to home for some of you, I'm sorry. But um, especially if your kids are like 25 and you're, you're doing that. That's, that was our family. But we're in Mark um, chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at a story where this, this kind of, the, right, what precedes this is Lazarus, Jesus' a good friend. You've got Lazarus and his sisters Martha and Mary. And Lazarus has just been raised from the dead. And so th- that has just happened, and it's, it's been amazing. And then you have just before this where <clears throat> the story of Mary and Martha, where Martha kind of gets a bad rap because she's serving the food and stuff like that, and Mary's sitting at uh, the feet of Jesus. <clears throat> and so we're going to look at this, and we're and in Mark, it doesn't say who it is, but in, in the book of John, it talks about the fact that the woman that we're going to look at here is Mary, um, Lazarus' sister. So to give you a little context of what we're reading, we're in Mark chapter 14, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. <coughs> Ooh, sorry. Just want to make sure you're listening. Okay, so, so we're only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? Now here it doesn't say it, but in um, other gospels, the, the main person complaining was Judas. And then, so get that in context. Judas was the keeper of the money. So he comes up and it says, they were complaining, why this waste of, of, of the perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. <clears throat> and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. 
She did what she could. She poured a perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. So this happens just before Judas goes to the chief priest and says, hey, for 30 you know, bits of silver, I'll turn Jesus over to you. So this is what's going on before that. So we look at this, and what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about worship. Some of us in here, we worship actors, we worship athletes, we worship teams. All right, maybe Packers, or you wouldn't worship the Bears. But, um, um, so, but we have things that we worship, um, girlfriend, boyfriend, money, popularity, fame. We have things that we worship that we put up and we kind of, in a sense, kind of bow down to. And so what I want us to talk about for a few minutes today is the idea that we need to worship the one who created, not the things that, that are created. We need to worship the creator, not the created things. <clears throat> and so some of you, some of us here may have, have um, grown up thinking that worship was a certain time, a certain place, a certain season. I come and, and I worship, and that's kind of, you know, what, what you grew up believing in, and we're, I want to kind of change that thinking a little bit as we, we go through this, because what I want us to think about is that worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. So, the, so we go through the what, where, when. The what is going to be worship, and the Hebrew word, when you look in the Old Testament, it's shakah, uh, to bow down, to prostrate oneself. And then the Greek in the New Testament it is prokisno. Um, don't quote me on that, but that's, uh, I, you can see it, it's spelled up there. The, um, to kiss the hand, to fall on the knees, to prostrate oneself. And so the whole idea is to prostrate yourself, to bow down before. And so when we think about worship, it's the idea that we're going to bow down before. And in the New Testament, I want us to kind of get past that physical, like I'm going to bow down physically here. But Get to the heart, because our heart should be bowing down to God. And so when we look at these words, it's the whole idea of worship, it means reverence. It's bowing our hearts before God. It's more than singing the right songs. It's honoring an incredible God. So the what is worship. That's what we're going to talk about. The who is where I want to kind of focus for and camp on for a few minutes. The who is God. And we say, okay, God, if I say God, we may get a lot of different definitions of who God is or what God is. But I want us to, to look at what the Bible says. Because God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. And omni, you see omni before those words. Omni means all or every. And so when we, we talk about omnipotent, omnipotent is all-powerful. The God that we're talking about that we want to worship is all-powerful. He created all things. Nothing that exists, exists outside of God. So he's all-powerful, <clears throat> infinite. His power is infinite, and it's limitless. There is no limit to God. And then the next one is, is omniscient. <clears throat> he's all-knowing. He's aware of the past, the present, the future. And nothing surprises him. <clears throat> you don't wake up one, one morning and, and, and go through the day, and all of a sudden... You mess up and you go to God and say, God, I got something to tell you. You're not going to like it. And, and, and have God go, 
man, I can't believe that. that. I'm shocked by that. God already knew it. So when we go to God and we confess, we're confessing what he's already known. It's not like we're, we're surprising him. And so <clears throat> 1 Samuel 16, 7, <clears throat> this is where um, God has rejected Saul as king. And if, if any of the kids in the youth group know, this is kind of a, a verse that I, I constantly go over because this is one of my life verses because it's more than what we do, it's who we are that God's interested in. <clears throat> so 1 Samuel 16, 7, God is saying, I've rejected Saul. He's, he's gone against me. I'm, I, want, I want to pick a new king. <clears throat> and so he goes and he sends his prophet before Jesse's, um, all Jesse's sons are lined up. And so the prophet goes <clears throat> and he looks at the first oldest son, the one, the strong one, and he says, surely this is God's anointed. Surely this is the one that God's going to choose to be the next king. And this is what God says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We look at the outward appearance. How do people look? How do they dress? And how do they act? God says, I'm going right through that, and I'm looking at the heart. In a sense, God's more interested in how your heart is dressed than how you are physically dressed when you walk into church. Sometimes we get so caught up in making sure that we're, we're looking a certain way, which, not to say it's a bad thing, but we skip where our heart is, and we focus more on how people are going to see us. So God says, I'm more interested in the heart. And then in Hebrews 4.13, when we talk about God's all-knowing, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is covered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's nothing hidden, it says, in all creation. Everything is, is before God. So nothing, absolutely nothing that I do throughout the week, God doesn't sit there and go, I didn't see that. He sees it all, good and bad. And so, so for some of us, that could be like, oh, that's good. I'm glad he does that. For others, we're like, I don't like that. Kind of makes me uncomfortable because there are times when we'll do something and we walk away and we're like, oh, thank goodness nobody noticed I did that. Problem is somebody did. And that's this omniscient God that we worship. So the third one is omnipresent. So if you want to have your head blow up, this is what I, what I tell parents when they're talking about their middle schoolers and, and, and the struggles. I said, if you really want your head to blow up, try to think what's going on in that kid's head. Because your head will just blow up because we don't know what's going on. In a, especially in a middle school boy's head sometimes. It's kind of like, I don't know. If, if there's a lot of rattling going on like that. And we, we, we sit there and go, I can't get my head around it. Now take that and sit there and go, try to understand God. Try to understand a God who is omnipresent. All present, never had a beginning, never have an end. Always has been. And sit there and humanly try to say, I'm going to get my head around that. You won't do it. I've tried and my head hurts when you do that. Because <clears throat> he's capable of being everywhere at the same time. There's stuff going on in China right now. God is in the midst of that. There's stuff going on in Dubuque. And God is in the midst of that. No matter what's going on anywhere in this world, God is right there in the middle of that. 
That is the God that we, we're talking about that we want to worship. The God who is everywhere. The God who knows everything and he's all-powerful. And then the God who is also holy. He's set apart, absolutely perfect, absent of any sin. Absent of any sin. And we're going to talk about this in a few minutes. The reason that we needed Jesus to come down on this earth and to die on the cross and rise, rise again was because God is perfect. And we're not. He's so perfect that he can't be in the presence of sin. And so in our human state without Jesus, God says, I can't even be in, in your presence. This God that we're talking about, but he wants to fix that, and we're going to talk about that. So, so we look at the first act of, of worship was from Cain and Abel. Cain, some of us know Cain and Abel <clears throat> in Genesis. And so this is the first act of worship that we have in, in Genesis chapter 4. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then we go to Hebrews, and Hebrews 11.4 talks about Abel. He says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offering, and by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. So we look at Cain and Abel coming up, and some people say well, it's because it was a blood sacrifice that God wanted, and Cain, Abel brought that and Cain didn't. There's, there's nothing there that tells us exactly what the reason was that God rejected it, but we see that God did. And part of what it is that I believe is we look at it and say God was looking at the heart. Because if you, if you think that Cain and Abel came with a good heart, just read a couple verses later. Cain ends up killing his brother. He's jealous, he's mad, he ends up killing his brother. I can tell you right now, you don't have a good heart if you go out and you kill your brother. It's just the way it is. And so, so for whatever reason it was, that the first act of worship was Abel understood worshiping God. And God received that. Cain didn't. And so when we think about worship, understanding who God is. And so then we go on and we say, so we've got the what is worship, the who is God, and then the why. <clears throat> why, why do we worship God? Because he's worthy. Because he's holy. So when we, we think about <clears throat> how powerful, how incredible God is, we worship because we understand who we're worshiping and how powerful he is. When we truly understand who God is and the power that he has, it's going to be impossible not to sit there and bow our hearts before him. And so once we truly understand that, how incredible, how awesome, and how powerful God is, we cannot help but worship him. So my question is, are you worshiping God? Did you come in today saying, I'm here to worship God. I'm here to bow my heart, my life down before an incredibly awesome God. And if your God isn't these things that we're talking about, you might want to check which God you're, you're following because the God of the Bible is, is what we're talking about here. So Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So once we, we understand who God is, says we need to, to bring our hearts and our attitudes into worship when it comes to worshiping God. And so, um, so we, the, God wants to have a relationship with us, and worship is a part of that. Worship is a way to get to know God better. Understand that this God that we're talking about, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, says, I want to have a relationship with you. He's this incredible God that created everything that we see. And he says, I want to have a relationship with you. I created you for that relationship. And that's what he wants. And So then we look at it and we say, how? I mean, when we think of worship, a lot of times we think of how do we worship? I remember I was, my previous church, I was preaching, and at the end of the, the service, you know, I prayed, and I got down, I got done, and people were coming up, oh, that was a good job, and, you know, and I was like, thank you, thank you, and then um, um, I had this older guy come up, and he comes, he says, that was a really good sermon, and I'm like, it's one of those things where, you know, you've had this conversation, waiting for the but, that was a really good sermon, pause, but, he goes, when you were praying, and I was sitting there going, did I pray something wrong? He goes, you had your hands in your pockets. And he goes, and I was really upset with that. And the only thing that went through my mind, and I was, th- thank God he kind of gave me wisdom at that moment to shut up. I was sitting there going, you're concerned about where my hands were, and you had your eyes open? I said, that doesn't, somehow that just doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to connect here. But it's the idea that, that his idea of worship was, and so now, seriously, there are times when I'm praying and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. It's kind of like when we sing. Sometimes we, you know, we, we really get into the song and we're like, what do I do with my hands? Well, some of you may know who Tim Hawkins is. I'm going to have him help us understand that a little better. We actually have names for our hand raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say so you're at my church, music is rocking. Start slow. Hands in the pockets, a little elbow flap. You're fine. <laughs> Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. <laughs> when you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. <laughs> Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there, that's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Jesus loves you, Grace. Next one's hold my baby, hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The same. So we were talking about this video beforehand, and um, it's heresy. We found out because it wasn't Mufasa, it was Rafiki. 
I guess that, and so that really got messed up my entire sermon. So like, it was all, my whole sermon was on Rafiki, and now it's gone. But, but I know that what's going to happen is my, one of my favorite worship songs right now is Death Was Arrested. And we're going to be singing that in a little bit. And I, I know what's, what's going to happen is some of you are going to be like this now. Like, oh, oh man. And you're going to be sitting next to your, you know, spouse or something like that. And they're going to be like, and you're going to be like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Death was arrested, and you will be too. It, it's, so it's, it's, it's but the whole idea is, is that it's not our hands or our body that God's looking at. It's our heart. When we're singing, if you raise your hands, that's awesome. If you don't raise your hands, God's not sitting there going, oh, not feeling very spiritual today, are you? You know, like that. Or if you've got them way up and you're jumping up on the chair to make sure, you know, like that, to get closer to God, you know, God's like, oh, good. You know, I, that's a point for you. It's God is really, we talked about this in the beginning, God's looking at our heart. We, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And so when we talk about worship, it's the idea of where is our heart? Because how do we worship? This is what we, I want us to think about in John 4, 23 and 24. <clears throat> Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that God seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So in spirit and in truth, spirit, all of us, all, all, every part of us when we worship should be involved in that. It shouldn't just be our hands, our feet, whatever. It should be all of us. And it's not, it's not when we're standing here, we, okay, we're going to stand up to worship. It's our whole life should be a life of worship. So when we think about our hands in worship, we think about the fact that I can worship by going out and serving somebody and helping somebody. But, and, then, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But the idea that God wants worship to be all of us, every part of us. It says in spirit and then in truth. That it's got to be based on truth. It's got to be based on worshiping a God that we understand from the Bible. The omni-God, the holy God, the perfect God, the loving God, the just God. And, and the truth is, is that when we come to God, we come in truth saying, God, this is, this is who I am. I'm a sinner who wants to praise you. And, and, and we, we get that. So, so sometimes for me, believe it or not, I mean, you, you know these tests they take whether you're an introvert or an extrovert? Like, some people would say that I'm an extrovert. And, but when you look at it and say, how do you recover how do you recover when you've just been around 6,000 middle schoolers? You know, like that. For me, recovery isn't let me go to a party and just have fun. For me, it's let me go find a cave with a big rock and close it and hope no nobody ever finds me as I cry and whimper <laughs> over what just happened. But for me, the re recovery for me, some people I know, my mother is this way, where she wants to be around people and, and she'll go like that. I get around her and I'm like, oh, I'm exhausted. I want to go, I love to go to the woods. I love to go to the woods and just get out there and just where it's quiet and you just hear, hear the birds chirping, bears howling or whatever bears do. And just, and just kind of say, look at God's creation. Say, wow. To me, that is the way I can worship. Because I get out there and it's quiet and, and I know, and we're going to talk about this again, too, is, is the idea of, of 
how do we get away from those distractions that can kind of get us away from truly worshiping God? See, true, true worship brings true humility. If we truly worship and we truly understand who God is, it will humble us. You can't look at the God of the Bible and sit there and say, I've got it all together. Look, look how well I, I, I've got things. Our problem is, I'm going to look at Johnny over here and say, boy, he's screwed up. He's really messed up. And we're going to be like that Pharisee who says, thank God I'm not like that sinner. And then you got the sinner comes up pounding his chest. And he says, I'm not even worthy to come before you, God. That is the humility we have to have when we understand who God is. Because we understand how incredible he is. So if we truly worship, we get to know God. And when we truly get to know God, then we're truly humbled. Because you cannot worship God in a biblical way without humility. You cannot come into a time of worship with God being proud, thinking that you have it all together. Because if you have it all together, you don't need that God. But it's because we don't have it all together that we need to worship and, and we need that God. So we need to compare ourselves to God in his holiness, not to those around us. Matthew 15, 8 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Here's Jesus, and he says, These people with their lips, they're singing the right songs, they're saying the right things. But again, it comes right back to where we started. God looks right through that, and he says, their hearts are far from me. And that's what he sees in our lives. He sees our thoughts, and he sees our hearts. <clears throat> I have this analogy I use where it's a head, heart, hands. It starts with the head. We get to know God. We get to know the Bible. When I was in high school, um, we were on a Bible quiz, quiz team. And it was like, and, and we would go around to other churches and we would, we would have competitions where they would give a verse, we'd have to quote it. And in high school I had the book of Matthew, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and First and Second Timothy. I had every verse memorized from those books. You could, you could sit there and, and, and say a verse, I could quote it. You could sit there and start two words of a verse and I could finish it and tell you where it was. I've lost all that, but, but in high school, it was like, oh, the knowledge I had, it was incredible. It was so great. It's funny how sometimes that doesn't translate to school, but here I was, and, but I got caught up sometimes to where it was like, look how much I know, and that's where I got stuck for a long time, and then God got a hold of me, and he said, <clears throat> you, need to, you need to let that seep down into your heart. You need to let what you know and what you read in the Bible become part of who you are. And then when that happens and that knowledge comes down and becomes faith and becomes part of who we are, then it comes out from head to the heart. It comes out in our hands where people will see who God is through our actions, how we love those around us, how we treat those around us, the things that we do. And so if we're stuck in, in just knowledge and that's where it ends, that's, that's not going to get us to the place of worship because God for worship, it comes from the heart. Our heart is where worship comes out of, not our head. 
So two people can be doing the exact same thing. Two totally different people doing the exact same thing with different motives. So we can be standing next to each other doing the same thing and God can look down. It's a Cain and Abel situation. In, in, in a little, little bit here. But it's God says, I'm pleased with that. I'm not pleased with this. And why is that? Because he doesn't see what we're doing. He sees why we're doing it. He sees a person who understands who God is, and he's doing it for that reason. So it's, it's, it's about where our heart is. And so the, then we get to the when. When do we worship? It should be always. It should be every moment of our day we're worshiping. We're constantly going day to day, and we're saying, I wake up, I want to worship. I'm at work, I can worship. You realize that? At school, at work, you can walk into your workplace and say, I am now worshiping God. You can do that. And that's what God has called us to. Because it's part of who we are. If we're, if we're worshipers of God, it doesn't just leave when we, you know, it's not like we sit there and take off the worship jacket outside the doors and say, I'm going to bring, I'll put it back on next Sunday when I come in. We, we have that on all the time if we truly understand who Jesus is and who God is. So it's always, and then where? It's everywhere. That's what we've been talking about. At home, we worship. We worship in the car to church. If you guys were like me, there were times when it wasn't worship in that car getting to church. It was a lot of other stuff at times in high school. And, and then we get to church, and I'm like, now I'm really confused. But it's, it's worship everywhere we are, every, every time. So, so we're wired to worship because God has filled us with a void that can only be filled with him. There's a void in our heart that can only be filled with God. And we try to fill it with anything else or anyone else. It leaves us wanting. And so when we understand who God is, then we get it. Because wherever you are, you should be worshiping God. Wherever you are, you should be worshiping God. <clears throat> but we talked about the distractions. How we get distracted. And so, so we think about, what do I do when I get distracted? I've got... I'll be honest, I've got ADD, ADHD, ABCD, I've got it all. I, if you know me, you know that, man, they didn't have a diagnosis back then, but you go in the dictionary now, it's like, there's my picture right next to all of that. Teens will sit down, and they'll sit there, and they'll tell me their life story, like how bad they've been. And then they turn around and they say, boy, I can't believe that you're still talking to me. What they don't realize is that I didn't hear a word they were saying. Because... I'm sitting there listening, and they're like, yeah, I did this, and I did that. And I'm sitting there thinking, I was at Jimmy John's, and I don't know if they put cheese on my sandwich. And then I don't know why Jimmy John's doesn't give you a selection like Subway does of cheese. And then I don't know why Subway doesn't have Swiss cheese. It's like, what is, what's going on? I'm going through all this in my head, and this whole time the kid's like, and then I, and I was like, yeah, I got a nod like that. But there are times when I get distracted. I, Okay, that was a little bit extreme like that. I do listen if I like them. So, um, but the idea of we got to get rid of those distractions. If we're going to truly worship God, distractions are going to come. And we've got to sit there and say, how do I get rid of these distractions? How do I get it so I can focus 
on who God is and the business of our life. You've got to figure out what it is that's distracting you and taking you away from what God wants so that you can take that time to focus. Because <clears throat> we talked about God, the omnis, the holy, but also God of grace and mercy. The God of grace who gives us what we don't deserve, eternal life, if we understand what Jesus did on the cross and we turn our life over to him. And the mercy where he spares us from the death that we deserve because we turned our back on God. The God of grace and mercy is who we worship. And when we get that, we understand that we are not good enough to stand before God. But God made a way for us to be able to stand before him, and that's through Jesus Christ. His grace and his mercy. <clears throat> I, was, I was looking at a video, watching a video, of, and Larry Osborne had this quote. It said, if we only see Jesus in terms of guiding us to a better life, we'll inevitably be disappointed and walk away when things don't work out as we hope. If we only see Jesus in terms of guiding us to a better life, we'll inevitably be disappointed and walk away when things don't work out as we hope. See, God doesn't want to just be a God who says, I'm going to fix your problems here on earth. God is a God who says, I fixed your eternal problem that you had. But a lot of times we sit there and say, God, you've got to fix what's going on here. You've got to make this better. I've, I've shared this before. My mother's dealing with cancer. It's, it's not going to be cured. And I say, God, you've got to do something. I could sit there and say, God, if you don't do that, then I don't, I don't want to follow after you. I could do that, but that would be dumb because I'm sitting there trying to tell God, this God that we've been talking about, what to do and, and on my terms. Or I can sit there and say, God, you've done something far bigger than anything that's going to happen on this earth. There's going to come a time when my mother's going to have the perfect body and it's going to be free of cancer. And we can rejoice in that. And I have to look at that and not look at what's going on around on earth because if we limit God to what's going on here, we truly miss who God really is. So when we understand that God is a God of eternity and not just a God of our small world, then we truly understand worship. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for who you are. You're so incredible, and Lord, there's no way that we can even fathom your beauty, your glory, your majesty. But Lord, I pray that in one small way as we walk out of here today that you would help us to understand that you're a God that wants to be worshipped and deserves to be worshipped. And I do pray, Lord, that that as we go throughout this week, that we would see that you want us to be doing that wherever we're at, whenever we can. In Jesus' name, amen.